Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. For more information... Visit creativecommons.org. Hey, Breaking Math fans. First, I want to thank you for listening. I have an important message for everyone. You can start your own podcast right now with Anchor. Anchor lets you create and distribute your own podcast. Just get an idea, record, and upload. It's just that easy. Anyone can do it. I'm on my way to accomplishing my dream, and you can too. Just get on your device's app store and download Anchor. It contains everything you need to make a podcast. With Anchor, you can put your podcast on all the big platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and more. Reach the whole world with Anchor. Best of all, Anchor is free. You have nothing to lose with a free platform. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I'm Sophia. And I'm Gabriel. And welcome to Problem Episode 8, Tangent Tango, uh, where we're going to be talking about uh, Morikawa's unsolved problem. This was solved during the COVID quarantine. It's fascinating. I love the fact that people attempted these uh, unsolved problems and they made some progress. Oh, yeah. The, there's been a weird, uh, like, there's been a lot of weird academic stuff going on during COVID, and this is a, a pretty cool one. Um, yeah. But uh, before we start, like, we have a few plugs. So if you want a poster that has a lot of cool math diagrams on it that you could put on your wall, it's a 36 by 24 inch poster. Uh, we have one and we are selling it on facebook.com slash breaking math podcast for $19.65, uh, which includes uh, the shipping and handling, which is $4.50. You can get that at facebook.com slash breaking math podcast. Mm-hmm. And again, that's that's with it, it's a it's a flyover of of tensor calculus, which is pretty darn cool. It's the mathematics used in Einstein's general theory of relativity. So it makes a great birthday gift. Oh yeah, and then we have our um, Patreon. If you want to support us monthly, uh, it's just um, one dollar or more. You could have our episodes with no ads and uh, outlines. If you want to have updates about the show, you can find us on Twitter at Breaking Math Pod um, or Facebook.com slash Breaking Math Podcast. Uh, we also have our website, breakingmathpodcast.app, which we're going to be updating pretty soon. And if you want to email us, just send us an email at breakingmathpodcast at gmail.com. Yep, with any ideas, comments, or questions, or corrections. 
So without further ado, this problem comes from a type of math known as Sengaku, which has its origins in Japan. Basically, Sengaku um, consists of geometric arrangements, often involving geometric objects tangent to each other in artistic ways. And it was presented as gifts to Buddhist temples in Japan during the Edo period, which is basically between 1603 and 1870. Japanese math was distinct for quite a while. For example, uh, Seki Takakatsu, uh, who lived from 1640, 1942 to uh, 1708 uh, was a Japanese mathematician uh, who invented something very much like calculus, um, researched uh, Bernoulli numbers, and this was all separate from uh, the West. One thing about Japanese math is you have these sangaku, which um, they would be put on, like Gabriel said, tablets and presented to uh, Buddhist temples. And one example of this kind of problem is, let's say you have uh, two rolling pins that are resting on a table of different sizes. Uh, if you want it, if you want to squeeze in another rolling pin uh, between them in the in kind of triangular space uh, between the table and the rolling pins, uh, the size uh, the uh, size of that circle is given by one over the square root of its radius is equal to the sum of the inverse square roots of the two bigger uh, rolling pins uh, radiuses. That's a uh, sangaku, uh, for example. And today's problem is a specific Sangaku problem proposed by a man by the name of Jihei Morikawa in 1821. Sophia, would you like to explain this problem? All right, sure. So let's say we have a line and you have two circles of any size resting on that line. So the two circles are touching one another. And they don't have to be the same size circle, right? One can be larger and the other yeah and the, the only and the only um stipulation is that the two circles are touching one another and they're touching the line okay. so right now we have a point where the two circles touch each other and two uh, points where the circles touch the line uh, so one point for one circle and one point for the other okay. circle so it's just tangent to the line very good and i understand in this problem we are interested in the little space between the circles and the line it's uh, how would you describe that shape it's, uh, it's kind of like, I think you would call that like, um, I don't know, an in inverse lunoid or something. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. That is what we're interested in, in this particular problem. Yeah. And the question is, what is the minimum size of the square that is tangent to the, both the line and the two circles? So I think it'd be good at this point to talk about what tangents are exactly. And it's pretty simple. It's just two. It's like if two geometric shapes touch each other at exactly one point, uh, they're tangent to each other at that point. Correct. And in this case, if you have a square that is flat on the line, it'll be tangent all along that particular side. So it's not always only one point. It's also, you know, just a given segment. Yeah. And this square, um, if you think about it, if the corners are touching the circles, for example, then it could be tangent at those two points and wherever it is on the bottom it could also be tangent to the side and uh, it could be also tangent to both a, a corner and a side uh, a way to imagine this is if like um, if you have a coin rolling off of a table with a really hard edge right before it starts rolling off the table you could see that the corner of the table is touching the um, the coin and the coin is resting on the table yeah and for the sake of this problem this was mentioned earlier but I think it's worth stating again uh, in the um, audience's mind the audience is allowed to resize the square of any size at all. Um, and essentially the square can be um, rotated uh, into any orientation. And that's actually part of this problem as well. So, and the question is, uh, what is the minimum uh, size of uh, the square? This uh, problem was proposed in 1821 and it wasn't solved until June of last year. It was solved by uh, Jan E. Hawley and David Crum. That's right. And the paper can be found. Um, we'll, we'll put the link to the paper in the show notes so you can go through it step 
by step if you'd like. And I believe it was solved with a computer. Is that right? Uh, part of it was, yes. Um, wh one of the steps uh, f involved uh, finding uh, Galois groups and uh, roots and stuff. Um, but uh, a lot of it um, was done, it seems, by hand. And I think it's kind of interesting, too, because it relies on this, uh, on the algorithm uh, used being reliable. And uh, it's an algorithm called Magma, and I believe it has been shown to be reliable. Very cool. So first what we can do to solve this problem is we might be a little bit daunted because let's say the left circle has a radius of 10 and the right circle has a radius of 7. It seems like we have quite a few different configurations that the circles can be in. But with we can actually, without loss of generality, we can make set the smaller radius to 1 and the other one to a number greater than 1. So let's say you have a radius of like 1 half and 3 quarters. Mm -hmm. You could resize that to 1 and 3 halves. And without loss of generality, the, um, the circle, the larger circle is going to be on the right. And the reason we could do that is because if you just flip the problem around, it's the same problem. Mm -hmm. Good. Next, we prove that for every angle that we want to rotate our square at, there's only one position in size that has the square at that angle that is tangent to the two circles and the line. And the way that this was done in the paper is basically showing that if you wedge it in there, that you can't really rotate it in any uh, any way. Um, basically shown that it's completely wedged in there. Again, what we're going to be doing here is giving a big overview of how this is done. Uh, just so you understand, like, perhaps what a long-form uh, proof is and the type of steps taken. And I think this is a remarkable proof because it takes so many steps. Um, but, uh, I mean, and it seems like it almost must take so many steps, especially when you have things like squares that are a little bit... Um, detailed uh, compared to a circle right mm -hmm. like uh, have the corners and all that and uh, so yeah so what this has the effect of doing is now the only uh, parts of the problem that we need to uh, consider are the angle that the square is at and the size of the circle on the right mm -hmm. and um, th and that makes the problem already a little bit less daunting right yes absolutely in fact the next step is simply enumerating the different configurations that exist the paper uses the two points on the square touching the circle and how they are tangent to the circles that they each touch and where the tangents are. In fact, it, uh, it it gives a diagram of every possible orientation. And you can imagine uh, the ways that they are tangent. There's only three ways that um, that the paper I, uh, uses for the way that they are tangent. Uh, there are points that are tangent to uh, only a side. Uh, for so this would be if like the circle touches the middle of um, of one of the segments between the two corners, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, there's one where it's like to a side and a corner, which is uh, like what we said earlier uh, with the coin rolling off the table example. Yes. And then there's just the one, the one where only the corner is touching the circle. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a very, very subtle difference, but a relevant one nonetheless. Yeah, and uh, and if my intuition is right, these authors probably tried a lot of different ways to categorize these orientations before landing on this. Uh, this is the kind of thing that you do with a big math proof: is you just kind of try different things. Mm -hmm. And um, that it, those uh, three um, uh, categories aren't the only things that we have to consider. Correct. We also have to consider the height of the corners. 
So if they're the same height, that's uh, one that, that's um, a different category than if you have uh, the right over left, even if the corner the same types of corners are touching. Yes. So you can imagine that as being like the two corners touching the circles versus the square wedged at an angle where both the corners are touching the circles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I think there are uh, three orientations that we have to consider here, as you said earlier, the orientation in which uh, the two corners are at the same height, the orientation where the right corner is oriented um, above the left, and then the invert of that, where the left corner is above the right. And if you think about it, a square is uh, symmetric. Um, if you rotate a square 90 degrees, you get the same square, right? Correct. So we only have to consider um, 90 degrees or pi over 2 radians of uh, rotation, or tau over 4. Tau has the utility of being one full rotation versus 2 pi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you start with configuration 1, 2, and 3 is what they called it. Um, and I suppose you could start with a few other ones, but this kind of makes it neat. Um, and the, the configuration one, two, and three is where the square is sitting flat on the um, line below. Mm-hmm. Uh, but configuration one is where both the top corners are touching the circles. Configuration two is the same thing, except for the um, uh, the left side is touching the circle um, also on the edge and the corner. So it's a tangent right there at the corner. And then configuration three is where it just touched the left side and the upper right-hand corner. And as you rotate the square, you get all these different types of configurations. For example, if you rotate it a little bit from configuration three to configuration four, you still get it touching the side, but now the left corner is below the right corner because it's rotated a little bit. All in all, there are a total of 19 configurations if we follow these uh, rules. And uh, in this paper, they are ordered by angle and they start with configuration one, then they go to configuration two, and so on and so forth. Yeah, and um, and what's interesting too is that it's kind of a graph, meaning like you go from configuration one to six, two also goes to six, but three goes to four and five before it goes to six. The paper has this on a page on page four, and it's going to be in our Patreon um, outline as well. Yes, yeah, and actually, I, I really do enjoy the challenge of having to explain something where where somebody has to uh, envision in their mind what we're talking about. Actually, that's that's a good exercise. I mean, that could almost be breaking math's mission statement. Yes, exactly, exactly. Breaking math, making things hard for ourselves. (laughs) Here at Breaking Math, we like to learn, uh, not just to learn necessarily, I mean, that's fun too, but we like to learn with purpose as well. And we try to do that with, um, I think, examples in our own podcast. It's so empowering knowing that I can do better, feel better, be better. So this year, we continue to learn with purpose ourselves by streaming The Great Courses Plus, And I want you to join us. Um, I mean, we got The Great Courses Plus, um, And there's like so much stuff that you can tap into, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's what shows on cooking, there's shows on history, yoga, there's shows on uh, culture, anything that you can imagine. And uh, one course that I think uh, y'all would like is the course on math and magic. Uh, We've talked about this before, but it's pretty cool. It um, demystifies uh, magic tricks through use of applied math. I mean, it just has some cool things on there too, like um, a perfect shuffle and how to use perfect shuffles in sequence uh, to do uh, certain tricks. And a perfect shuffle is like when you shuffle exactly one card at a time. So it just it's kind of cool combining sleight of hand with um, with math in that way. Who doesn't enjoy learning about, about magic? And the fact that you can do it from a mathematical angle is just awesome. It's almost a, it's almost like a, a power t- to know how to do those tricks. So with The Great Courses Plus, you get unlimited streaming to thousands of video courses on pretty much anything, like we said, uh, public speaking, uh, oceanography, body language, 
I mean, you name it, it has it. It's all thoroughly vetted. And it's fact-based information you can trust from some of the best professors and top experts in their field all over the world. And they have an app um, you could watch or listen on any device. It's the Great Courses Plus app. So you can learn anytime, anywhere. You know, you'll be uh, in the car. Um, you can listen to it. Uh, working out. Uh, you could do two things at once, basically. Sign up at the Great Courses Plus to find out. And you want a month free? We got you a month free. Special URL is thegreatcoursesplus.com slash breaking math. And like I said, unlimited access for free for a month. Don't miss out on this. Trust us. Again, that's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash breaking math. So um, basically what, what you show is that there's only two valid configurations. Um, and this was done by eliminating configurations a few at a time using some uh, clever geometric methods. Um, all of them are pretty much uh, stuff, pretty much stuff that could be solved by um, actually Euclidean uh, math pretty easily. Um, so honestly, like the entire problem up to uh, where we're talking about, where we're going to be talking about the actual side length, a lot of it can be done by really ancient uh, mathematics. And that's pretty cool too. That is such a recent proof with that. Yeah. You know what's interesting is looking at this diagram, I actually thought of a way to uh, solve this, creating a program that's sort of like a complete circuit where the light would only be on when all angles are touching. You know what I mean? And it just tried through combinatorics, every possible arrangement of, of that square. I don't know if that's possible or not, but uh, I don't know. Just a thought, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, but then you run into the problem of uh, how do you, uh, how do you make the thing rigorous? I mean, I think that's, that'd be definitely good for kind of like an empirical look at it, which I'm sure is what they did at some point too, because I mean, when I've solved problems myself, a lot of times I just plug it into programs and see mm -hmm. what everything is kind of like, um, and then go from there. But I mean, there's so many ways to a problem. I've, and I've said this on the show before, but solving a math problem can be like trying to get to the store where you um, end up uh, at your friend's house first, then you end up on Mars, then you uh, end up in a universe that goes backwards in time before you finally make it to the store. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Just uh, looking at these um, diagrams, though, it, it looks like like a rolling dice in an alley, you know, with all these. Oh yeah, layout with the square rotating like that. Yeah, yeah. So I just, I just thought, you know, would there be some way to, you know, model that? Anyways, not to take away from the paper. Oh yeah, no, and I mean, like, it could have even, it could have even been that this was uh, verified by a computer, which a lot of stuff is. But I mean, it would honestly be interesting to ask them. But um, so configuration six and configuration nineteen are the only ones identified as valid. And uh, configuration 19 is only valid when the circles are the same size. So a configuration 6 is where the two upper corners of the square uh, touch the circle, and the circle is angled towards the smaller of the two circles. So it's angled to the left. Configuration 19 is uh, the same, but the circle is angled to the right, and it only occurs when the circles are the same size. And if, 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 you, think, and if you think about it, they're, um, they're very, very similar, configuration 6 and configuration 19. And one more important thing is that um, the sides are not tangent to the circles in these configurations, only the corners. Okay. Now, the next step is to identify what size the minimum solution is. And this solution involves magma magma is a computational algebra system uh which uh takes in like algebra and does fun stuff with it i'm sure it's um, an it's acronym kind of... is, it, is it an acronym i believe let me see <laughs> we should look that up see if it's an acronym Ma nothing it's actually called magma yeah okay so apparently it's not an acronym but still that's an awesome name for a mathematical tool magma oh yeah so the minimum side length of uh, the inscribed square 
um, is a the minimum value of a certain function that was identified. Um, and the function is the square root of... So, I mean, yeah, so what does that mean, basically? It's basically the, that that is the configuration of... Uh, that that is the configuration of the square. So we already know the configuration that the squ that the uh, square is in, um, and we know that it touches two sides. So this is the formula that describes a square that uh, touches at two corners, um, in the way that it does. And um, so finding the minimum side length, um, uh, you have to find the minimum value of that function, and that was done using magma. Um, and it turns out that it's a it's a root of a god-awful polynomial. It's a 10th degree polynomial where you, where you define seven other polynomials. And it's F1 through F7, where it's F4 times quantity, F1 F times F7, F1 times F7, plus F2 times F6, minus two times F3 times F5, and quantity squared, minus quantity F3 squared times F4, plus F5 squared, minus F1 times F4 times F6, minus F2 times F7, and quantity squared. And uh, where, if you, and then to define F1 through F7, actually, you know what, you could just find it on um, the uh, paper, which again is linked in the show notes. But it's a, it's, it's a horrible um, uh, function. So now the question is, is there a closed form radical solution for, um, for this minimum side length? Now, they actually show the non-existence of a radical solution. And you might think, uh, what is a radical solution? A radical solution is just writing something down in a way that uses square roots and cubed roots and 800th roots and 24.3rd roots, just things like that. Um, and uh, it, it, uses, uh, real, I mean, it uses rational numbers uh, and roots and uh, division and multiplication, addition, all that. To, and they prove that uh, it doesn't exist. And you might think, why doesn't it exist? Why can't you just take the root of a polynomial? Uh, because you might remember from school, the uh, root of a quadratic can be done using the quadratic formulas. Uh, the cubic formula actually exists too for the, a cubic equation, and the quartic exists. But once you get to the quintic, there is no general solution, which can be which is shown uh, using Galois theory, which uh, we should do one of these days. It connects group theory and field theory, where group theory is like uh, like it shows symmetries, like you know if you rotate a triangle 120 degrees, you get the same triangle, and you can flip it and all that. Mm -hmm. And field theory, which is like um, rational numbers. Uh, uh, the field that we're concerned with here is the field of the radicals, um, and you could show that um, this uh, this uh, polynomial does not reduce using that. But um, we're not going to go into that quite because it would require an entire episode on its own. But I think it's just interesting to note that perhaps this is the reason why this uh, wasn't found until recently is because a lot of ancient math relies on uh, constructible numbers um, in a way that doesn't involve roots. Wow, what a way to spend a COVID quarantine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. Like, uh, I think it's pretty uh, pretty cool. Um, and again, uh, that was uh, solved by Jan E. Hawley and David Crum. And you can find their um, paper on archive.org. That's A-R-X-I-V. And the paper's reference number is 2008.00922V1. Uh, in, uh, it's 25th of July, 2020. And again, it'll be on the um, show notes. Alrighty. That's been fun. 
Yeah, and um, again, uh, you check out our sponsor, The Great Courses Plus. Yeah, it's actually uh, free access for a month if you guys go through our link. And actually, that's really a great way to help this show out. If you oh, yeah. Link, so. And it's pretty cool. Like I've been, I've been using it. Like uh, it's been pretty great. Um, and you can do that at thegreatcoursesplus.com/slash/breakingmath. Yes, that's a great way to help out this show. You get a whole month for free, and uh, there's so many topics on there. Everything from cooking to yoga to history to astronomy. I mean, what what a way to educate yourself and have some. Great ideas for conversations at your next cocktail party when COVID is over. Yeah, you could bypass the not being able to talk to people again because of being in our isolation. Yep. Till next time.